0: Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome Lane Kawaoka. Welcome, Lane.
1: Hey, guys. How's it
2: going? <laughs> going Thank
0: great. you so much for coming on.
2: Great yeah. to meet you. I had the, uh, pleasure of, uh, talking with Lane a little bit, uh, a couple days ago. So, uh, we look forward to chatting here and learning a little bit more about what you're into.
0: Yes. Yes. So Lane, how did you get started in real estate?
2: So I graduated college
1: about 10 years ago and as an engineer, I went to work. And at that time, I was just following that linear path of go get a job, go, um, go to college, get a job save your money and then buy a primary residence. So that's what I went out and did Uh, a few years into that job. I saved enough money for that down payment, 20% down to, to go and live in. And then since I was traveling all the time for work, uh, you know, leaving home on Sunday and coming back on Saturday or Friday, I was only there for a day. So it didn't really make much sense. So I started renting it out. So in a way I became a accidental landlord and I was like, wow, like, this is pretty cool, right like that's a lot of beer money <laughs> I think it but it, I did everything wrong, right I bought this a class rental and um like the it just wasn't really good for multiple roommates. it was just more for a family, which it, at the time in Seattle was a good place to have a rental, a lot of uh increasing increase in the market, but it was about three hundred fifty thousand and it rented for twenty two hundred um yeah. So not even not even anywhere close to the one percent rule. Yeah. Um,
0: for for the listeners out there who need help with their math, could you do the math for us? Um, Why that doesn't work?
1: So when you take the um, the mortgage on that one was about sixteen hundred. So for the layperson out there, they'll say, "Oh, the mortgage is being covered by the amount of rent coming in because the rent is twenty two hundred, and then you minus sixteen hundred, so." you know you think 2200 minus 1600 that's um not very good at math it's 600 dollars of profit there right there right and at the time i was like well, yeah you know that's that's like your money for me i mean i was going to las vegas and i was thinking to myself well, every month i got 600 bucks rolling in but then i realized that even with it being a totally brand new modern home there would be repairs and you know, it just seemed like 10% go to that I had a property manager, 10% goes to that. And luckily I never had any CapEx because that, that was a pretty much brand new property. But um, you know, you've know you got to account for that too, another 10%. So at the very least, you're looking at you know, 30% off. So what is that? 70% that you're going to take home. Mm-hmm. And that's on a brand new property. And then that's where I, I learned about the 50% rule from just devouring all the podcasts and books out there. And um, but then, but then I was still hooked. At the time, I had bought that property in 2009, and renting it out 2010, 11, it still cash flowed in Seattle. And then you know, I quickly then then at that point, I was like, wow, like I just need to like pour all my money into this stuff. Like, what can I sell? Like everything that like <laughs> went on eBay, you know, all the stuff I was spending my money on that was frivolous as, as like a early 20 year old. Like I just you know, poured it right into down payment money for the next project. And I I always tell people like, that's why you should start getting your first rental. Just even though like the turnkey rentals, they're not, they're not cash flowing as much today. Just get it because you'll see like how this uh, mousetrap works and it'll just totally change your personal finance outlook and and your spending habits because you'll see how you put money into this as down payments and you'll see how it just flows out like atm machines.
2: Yeah, it's amazing because it's one thing to to, to read and to, to see other people doing it, but when it's your property, you and you really have your hands getting dirty with it. You understand how the numbers really working because yeah, on on the outside, you know, sixteen hundred for a mortgage, twenty two hundred for rent, you're rolling it. But when you take in the point that you're gonna have vacancy down, you're gonna have capex that you're gonna account for for how long you put it, you're exactly right. You know, you you're gonna get hit down the road. So with this class A property, it seems like it's worked out well for you, and that's great.
1: Yeah, and I, I see, you know, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it on paper and it'd be counting like 8% cash flow or 6.7% cash flow, which uh, as you can tell a lot of people, a lot of engineers like to come and talk to me. And this is the way they analyze it. But yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, it's when you actually get the property and you have it in operation, like it's, it's like a couple hundred bucks coming back at you or a hundred. And that's like real tangible money. That's like, four or five dinners a month or something like that, something tangible. And it comes alive when that happens. Yeah, it's great.
0: Nice. So so how did you learn and who helped you to take those first steps into like really getting into real estate?
1: So I think at that time I, I read, I didn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad until much later, uh, but I read The Millionaire Investor um, by Keller. Or,
0: yeah, Gary yeah. Keller, Jay Papazan.
1: Yes, yeah. So I had a lot of good uh, images. You know, I learned the nuances between A, B, and C class. You know, and it was like, well, shoot, I got that A class, right? Like, I, you know, that's not what sophisticated investors buy. They kind of stay in that B minus sweet spot. Um, and you know you want to stay away from the D class or C class war zone properties. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that book was like probably the best book I, I've read, and that's probably the only book that you really need to read to kind of get going. I, I always follow things by like the semi-2010 rule. Mm-hmm. So
0: like
1: in, in corporate America, they always say like ten percent is with academics, like what you learn in books, or um, they do little dinky leadership seminars once in a while. And then uh, 20% is what you learn from your peers. So like, you know, us talking together or, you know, going to a local RIA or even like the the forums on there, but 70% is actually doing it. And people like think the 10 and the 20% is a huge part, but it's, it's the minority. It's that 70% of just
2: buying something and just seeing how it goes. Yeah, I love that. And and one thing that we always like to ask is that it's, it's to, so tough to actually take that step to the 70% of actually doing it. So you can talk about it all you want. You can read about it all you want, but there's so many people that are stuck and they just can't do that first deal. What, what was it that really allowed you? Because you, you have your accidental rental and you say, okay, this is great, but what really allowed it in your mindset to say, "Okay, this is the direction I'm going to take Was it that you were just seeing other people's success or were you just saying, okay, this worked out, and you kind of were a little more risk adverse or what do you feel allowed you to to get over the hurdle
1: i I just had the money rolling in and just saw the cash flow I mean at that scale, it was probably about four hundred dollars of cash flow coming in every month It's awesome, and that allowed me you know sometimes you know, since I didn't have a home for a few years there, which was part of the reason why I was able to save so much money. I would like go to Las Vegas for the weekend, you know, instead of flying home on corporate travel to Seattle, just stay in Las Vegas or something like that. And, and having that extra few hundred dollars just to go and pretty much blow because essentially it's as cash flow, it's sort of like an abundance mindset. Like it just comes in every month. It regenerates. So you're kind of like, well, whatever, you know, like just go and blow it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but in actuality, you know, I, I put it into more down payment money because I I didn't want only four hundred dollars. I wanted a thousand a month. So it took me a, a little bit to save it for the next property, which again was in Seattle, but it was more of a B plus rental. So I went a little down on that spectrum to try and get more to that sweet spot. And I thought a B plus rental would be you know a little less headaches, but still a little bit better margin. So it was a duplex. And, um, yeah, so bought that property in 2000, a few years later. And at that time in 2011, 12, the market was starting to go up in Seattle, much, much like the rest of the country. And I wasn't hitting my rent to value ratio numbers. Um, this stuff wasn't flowing and I was like, what the heck? Right. Like, okay. <laughs> what do I do? Right. But that's like, that's, that's what people on the West coast and Seattle, Hawaii East coast, that's, that's just life. Right
0: yeah whether it's so what did you do to I guess solve that
1: so at that point I I was just trying everything I was like look like researching into flipping and wholesaling and stuff like that and that wasn't really my thing I mean I always try and I, I preach to like the working professionals like myself like we don't have time to screw around with this other stuff like for some of us I mean, I'm an engineer. I don't really make too much money, but some of these other guys out there—they're making like a buck twenty, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year. And it's like they shouldn't be screwing around flipping houses or or doing this other stuff. Their highest and best uses at their job. And I I didn't really want to learn a new flipping industry and and do all that and do my time with that because I was barely home to begin with. So I looked into these uh these rentals out of state. Um, you know, there's it's all the same ones: Birmingham, Memphis, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Jacksonville. There's there at that time, you know, you're picking up properties for like one percent in good B areas. Now it's a little different as a seller's market. You're probably picking up hundred thousand dollar properties in C plus areas, but you're getting cash flow and and. and I always ask, like, "What's my goal?" My goal is to build passive streams of income so I can leave my job. And the flipping stuff wasn't wasn't aligned with that goal. And people say that, "Yeah, you go to all these like places like Birmingham, and you're not going to get the cash, the appreciation you get in Seattle." I'm like, "Well, I don't care. Like, that's my goal is for cash flow. It's not for big boosts of appreciation, which I kind of saw as gambling." And and I. I kind of freaked myself out, so I I wanted to cash out of my appreciation properties in Seattle. So that's what I did in a few years ago when I sold all my Seattle properties, and I I did one 1031 exchange where I exchanged two for nine properties out of state. So that got a little crazy. Um, yeah, that was a that was a fun. That was not a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean, we like to hear about the
1: the hurdles, the yeah, hurdles, yeah.
0: and the and the and the success. So tell us a little bit more about that hurdle.
1: Yeah, so I bought that first property and it appreciated probably about uh, 80 grand at least. And I had, at at one time, I actually paid down the mortgage because I'm an idiot. And (laughs) (laughs) you hear so much financial advice about paying down your mortgage. So I actually did that at one time. So I had a bunch of equity in there. And I always tell people like, "Look look how much equity you have in your property. Which don't calculate your return on um, investment or all this other metrics. It's return on equity once you're in operation. Like the cash on cash return is evaluating a new acquisition just to compare apples to apples. But once you're in operations, you, you figure out how much deployable equity in there and what's the highest and best use, just like you figure out what's your highest best use for your time. So in these properties, I had like $150,000 of equity and it was only making like a few hundred dollars of flow, So you're talking like low single digits. And that point you're probably better off in a bond or something like that with the amount of risk and headaches, even as a passive uh, turn or rental property. So I was like, well, okay, what can I do? What's my alternate scenario just to analyze the numbers as a second scenario. like, well, I could take this money and go buy a hundred thousand dollar properties at 30 grand a pop. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like, 150 divided by 30. That's five properties. I'm like, okay, cool. Like now, what will this do for me, right? So each property will be 200 bucks a cash flow conservative. So five times 200. That's a thousand dollars cash flow, right? Like, hit your a thousand. Yeah, a thousand is greater than 400, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, now we got to go and do it, right? (laughs) So yeah, just just started to research like the 1031 and figure out who are the, the custodians to do that and just start learning up and just do it. And then the hard thing is lining up all your properties for that 1031, because you've got a hundred days to do it. But the real constraint is this 45 day rule. So you've got to identify, once you sell your, your subject property, you, 45 days go by and on that 45th day, you have this homework assignment where you have to write down every single property that you can possibly close on. And you just can't, you can't write like an infinite amount of properties. There's these, these rules, like it can only be 200 t- or 200% of the sale of the subject property. So, you know, at $100,000 a pop property, I mean, I think I could only write like eight to 10 properties wow. so that like, it really sucks because now you're, if you can't, if you don't close on that property or something comes up in due diligence, well, you either got to pay the tax man or just got to close it. And everybody knows that you're working with 1031 money. So you, they've got you. You're screwed, yeah. right? Um, I don't recommend 1031s. I mean, I... I well, uh, quick thing. Day, could you uh, just
2: give us a little... Uh, give, the, give the listeners a little bit about uh, with 1031. Just quick overview. What is a 1031? Yeah. So the reason you do a
1: 1031 is... Like I had all this appreciation equity. So like 100, 150 grand. And I would have... If I sold the property... I don't get that homestead exemption, which you do with your primary residence. So I would have to pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So if I made a hundred grand of income at my day job, and I just sold it, now I'd be making two hundred fifty thousand dollars of income, and I have to pay that the taxes on that, which is like nobody really wants to do that, right?
0: No. Nope.
1: <laughs> so that, what the ten thirty one allows you to do is take that $150,000 of gain and just roll it into the next one. And in theory, you keep doing this until you die. And then when you die, whoever you pass it on to, that all gets washed away. That's in a simple term. So it's it's a way of delaying the gains. But as you can see, like these 1031s, you know, they're about $500,000 to execute one of these transactions as fees. And you, you, you always have to sell and then buy. And right now in a seller's market, there's no deal. So you can get your price, but what are you going to roll into? You're just going to get a, like a lukewarm deal, if anything, because you and everybody knows you have a 1031. So the seller on the next property knows you're motivated to buy. Mm-hmm. So in theory, it, it makes sense. But a lot of people that I'm working with these days, they just say, sell it and put it into something more scalable or like a multifamily syndication or just eat the taxes and, and, um, find the better deal. But that, I think it's a paradigm shift. Like if you're an active experienced investor and you can find good deals, then don't mess with the 1031. But if you're a lazy person who doesn't know what they're doing, then the 1031 might be the best thing for you.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great.
0: That's a great explanation. I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say, don't do it. Right. Don't do it. Don't do it. You guys should
2: not do it. (laughs) I've been on the opposite side. We've known that people need to sell. They're they're looking at 1031. And so we, we knew it really put us in a power position as a buyer. (laughs) I completely understand it you know they're under a timeline so for us we were able to crunch it based on pushing more to our advantage because if they want to hit this or they're stuck in getting hit with the tax man so yeah great explanation Uh, thank you for putting that together
1: yeah I actually had on my last property the guy basically extorted me for like five extra grand because um there was like a swimming pool in there and I had to fill in the swimming pool because for Fannie Mae you can't have a non-working swimming pool on property so and I, they knew I had a 1031 and they said well we're not closing it I'm like oh. what the heck man <laughs> like
0: oh no so they got you for another five
1: yeah they said oh we're gonna increase the or increase the price by whatever and I'm like
0: jeez." Oh, so <laughs> tell us a little bit more about turnkey rentals you went into that a little bit
1: yeah so I mean, I mean, there's on these websites online that you can find, you kind of find the uh, turnkey providers. You can, there's three ways of buying a turnkey rental. You can go straight to the provider. Um, The pros on that is you get the best price. The cons are are you're, you're kind of working. You're not working with a real estate agent. They don't have fiduciary responsibility to to you and they're sophisticated and savvy and you're not. (laughs) if you're buying a turnkey rental. If
0: your first so there's, time.
1: Right, right. So there's dangers there. The, the other end of the spectrum is buying it through a marketer. So these are the guys at the podcast. They bring people in and then they kind of go out to the different providers. The, the cons on that is they're, they're throwing on uh, extra fees. And a lot of times they're just marking it up to that 1% rental value rule. Got it. Um, nice. especially for like the lower end like properties, like the sixty, seventy
2: thousand dollar problems, I wouldn't touch that stuff today. That's just that's all war zone today. So if I'm here in New Jersey and I say that I'm interested in turnkey rentals, and now with your experience of going through this whole point, if I was looking at a market into say Indianapolis, Jacksonville or or whatever, what would be some points that you could give me to help me lead me in the right direction to one choosing a market and two choosing the right operation? So I would would first figure um, market. Um,
1: I I mentioned like some of the top half dozen. I think I'm more of a guy who's, as long as you're sticking to those markets, it's more about the people that you work with as opposed to the market.
2: What stood out to you with those markets? What was like the thing that like, besides just the operators there, what what was like, what made you feel comfortable with those markets? Um, So there are
1: secondary markets you know, they're not the Seattle, Dallas. They're not the huge markets. Um, they have, you know, as secondary markets, they're large uh, city centers, the major cities. Uh, the second criteria is robust economies. So that takes away like Detroit, right? Detroit's a secondary market, but they don't have a robust economy. There's just a one trick pony there. Right. So like, a, you know, like a Kansas City, it's like, a, you know, it's not the coolest city. I'm going to go visit there other than to get like a cheap USC ticket um, there. (laughs) But like, it's a very strong uh, economic market. It's very, a lot of different companies, a lot of white collar, a lot of blue collar. And uh, yeah, those are the two big criteria. And then once you, with those criteria, I mean, you're only down to like a dozen cities out there. And so what I'm saying is like, as long as you stick to those those two criteria and and you, you get the filter down to those dozen, I mean, you really can't go wrong. Um, I mean, you're basically throwing a
2: dart on the wall. It's mostly now just vetting the people that you're working with. And what did you do to vet the operator there? What was some points that, that some actual steps people can take when they do have a couple of turnkey operations and are trying to choose between one?
1: So I would not go on like the internet sites because you'll just get swarmed by the sharks, the vendors. You got to find, you got to go one more layer deep and just talk to the investors and who has bought from who, which is sort of hard to uh, to find because a lot of, these funky, um buyers, they're really passive and they don't really, they're not trolling the forums. They don't really care. They're living their life. They're passive. So it's hard to find a lot of these people, but w- once you, once you find one, maybe you can find another just by, you know, who, who else can I talk to and you start navigating the web um, I've got on my website. And if you contact me, I've got like a little secret Facebook group that I created that has a lot of these cranky buyers but i try and filter people pretty well no awesome. no vendors did, yeah
0: did you hear that facebook get yeah. on facebook yeah. get on uh get on the facebook uh <laughs> secret super secret uh
1: yeah super <laughs> page. secret pages and and groups <laughs> if, you are find
0: the, <laughs> the, if you want to find the uh, the people to go to for turnkey awesome yeah <laughs> if
1: you're one of those guys who doesn't want to get on facebook well that's one less oh, tool sorry. you have. About, yeah,
2: about three of you left. I think, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, you got to join them. Yeah. So tell us now. Let's fast forward to today. Where where's your business today? And so I
1: to go. You know, about a year ago, I I start. I hit my fannie may limit, which you can get ten properties in your name. And what a lot of people like to do is they put all ten in one spouse's name and one, and other ten in the other, so you can get essentially get twenty. But even at that point, at a couple hundred dollars per uh, property, 20 times 200, I mean, that's only four grand a month. I mean, that's, that's not much for like a family with kids. And then you kind of cap out and it's not scalable. Like I have like my 10 properties or 11 properties. I mean, I'm getting an eviction probably at least once a year. And at least every few months, there's something semi-major, maybe a thousand or a couple thousand dollar rehab or, you know, some kind of repair that needs to be done. And it's not, it's just not scalable. And I feel like these property management companies that I'm working with, they they work with a lot of unsophisticated investors, again, the turnkey buyers and they really gouge us on these like screwy things. And it's like, um like they're charging us like $150 of plumbing labor for like twenty-one hours. I'm like, are you serious? Like is this guy gonna come in my house, yeah. sit on it and like go to sleep, bring his kids and like then fix the leak? You know, like <laughs> you're gonna be kidding me, right? <laughs> right. I mean, so just the, the level of sophistication and the other people you're, you're playing in the sandbox with, um, and the scalability, like multifamily for me was the trajectory I need to head since I started so early in this and And um, I just want to take this like far further and I kind of like it. So that's great.
0: So tell us more about the multifamily.
1: Yeah. So multifamily, it's totally different. And I rejected the idea a lot because I was like, well, why do I want, you know, all these Fannie Mae loans are supposedly subsidized by the government. Like, why would I not want to do this? But then I, you know, I stuck it out and this is something that, like a lot of people will reject. Like, I look, you look at the lending, and it's like, oh, 10 ten-year notes, right? Like, oh, I don't want my my note to reset in ten years, or you know, I'm used to these thirty-year loans, like, or thirty-year amortizations. Um, but then one of the things that really turned me on to multifamily is the Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac loans, subsidized loans. The U.S. government wants us to um, wants like multi-family, class C, class B, like good, stable housing for the general public because obviously the wealth gap is getting bigger. Uh, people can't afford houses. So look where the money is going. The government wants to incentivize investors to go into these properties. And they're doing this with the non-recourse loan. So this is only on properties of loan sizes a million dollars or more. I mean, just like how we were following the money on the single family homes, on these Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac, you know, single families loans, they're doing it for these bigger stuff. And I'm like, well, why are they doing that? Right. Why are they incentivizing like these rich uh, investors who are syndicating deals? but it, like, it totally makes sense. And and I I don't try and like
2: explain things. I just follow where the money goes and just (laughs) do it. Right. Yeah, success breeds success, right? So follow right. and let it roll. So that's great. That's great. But yeah. well, where now that you're you're really pushing on this angle, where where are you pushing your business to be within five years?
1: So I there's two avenues I, I'm working with now. Um, I, I have a podcast and just to try and build awareness and help people get into single family homes. Um is one thing. podcast? Yeah, yeah, and and also just continually. Analyzing deals. I mean, at first I was analyzing probably forty properties, fifty properties a month. Now, uh, because I I had to learn it, like I was just analyzing junk from these brokers. Um, But now I'm more down to like ten a month, a little more selective. But as you guys know, it's a seller's market out out there for the Class B C properties that are over sixty units that are stabilized, so I can get that non recourse debt. Um, I mean, that's like zero search criteria, right? Like it gives you some (laughs) other stuff. Like, and I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want these three criteria met, And it's just very difficult to find in the seller's market. And a lot of people are buying properties for six and a half million, where I underwrite it for five. And I'm like, how, like, even at five and a half, like, how are they even making money? Right? Like Mm -hmm. the NOI is negative. Like, and like a lot of these properties, like I go to the broker, I'm like, Hey dude, like, the debt service coverage ratio is like one point, like one, like how is anybody going to get a loan on this? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. You know, somebody, you know, these other guys bought it. This last one, like, okay. Like that's a sign of that. This just to be patient to hit your criteria. And you know, ours is like the hundred percent in five years.
2: That's what the spreadsheet needs to say for us even to make a move on it. That's great. Yeah, you have to be conservative. You have to stick to your numbers. And of course, right now, you know, you get to the point where you can be so eager to get a deal and, and you can fudge your numbers and to say, well, it's close. So if I just, you know, yeah. if I just push it, maybe I won't have so much repairs or maybe the rents will hit, you know, they'll continue to increase. No, just stick to your numbers, be safe, be conservative, because you, you're going to buy it and uh, you can never uncorrect or, or fix that 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 first bad move of buying it wrong, so that that's great points, Thank you for sharing that with everyone
0: yeah
2: yeah I know a lot of people are um they're keeping the
1: rent increases the same as the last couple of years, like i mean last couple yeah. of years what especially in Dallas we're like what six percent five percent last two thousand fifteen sixteen, yeah. but some people are kind of keeping that same, that same five percent level
2: and that's like no, I mean, like, that's how it's you scary, get yourself right? into trouble, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and I also see a lot going on out there where where rents, they're assuming rents are going to go up, but they're also not anticipating that expenses will keep the trend. And yeah. as you know, as your rents go up, you have more going in the capex, your, your rents or your expenses are also going to increase. They're almost going to track with you. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. and, that, and, and so that's for a quick tip. Like that's one
1: thing I key in on is the expenses on the PNL. Like if it's less than three thousand dollars a unit, like I just throw that thing out. Like you know that there's something going on and and you just don't want to touch it. But if you see something like four thousand dollars or more, now you start digging a little bit more. Now you know like, hmm, someone's not running this thing as well as they should be.
2: Yep. I love that. That's great. That's one of the first lines I look at is the per unit expense. So yeah, you're, you and I are seeing eye to eye on that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. What's, what's your number that you like to see, like higher than 4,500? or No, honestly, for this point, it depends if it's an all owner's paid property or if the utilities go back. So in the market, we're in this anywhere from 3,700 to 4,200. And the way I like to underwrite is I'm going to assume that that number is never going to get better. that that I'm not going to be able to operate it better than that. And if I can find increases or or maximize on fixing uh, utilities or just handling the management better, then it's going to be gravy. And that usually helps me on the point. And I'll go off that and go off comparable properties in the area. But when you get into the point, we had one now where the guys that 2,500 and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, dude, I see, I see right now you're, you're trailing 12, which is basically scratch (laughs) paper, but you have no utilities in it. You know, there's no management in it. Maybe you're managing it yourself, but I need to bring in a third party management because I'm a thousand miles away. So you got to be careful on those lines because just so someone gives you a sheet, you have to look into what's actually missing in that point. Because when you get in, put everything in there, guaranteed you're going to be between that three and three and 4,500 mark in the market. Yeah. Yeah. But but hey, man, it's a good property. You don't want to buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, if you were me, you know, you could step in here day one and increase all the rents, $100 a unit in my Yeah. Well, you don't know what you're doing, doing man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah why, how long have you been you doing, you doing, doing this? this? Yep. Well, and we always <laughs> just say, well, that's that's great. If you go do it, we'll come back in three months and uh, we'll buy it at that price then. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but those are the these are the people are getting in trouble now, right? They're
1: getting yep. like if you think back in two thousand and seven, people were are are pretty much the same shoes as us now. So they bought all these properties, assuming the rents were going to go up, and then these are the supposedly the properties that should be leaking out on the market now, right? The the ten year notes are coming due, and they they were idiots ten years ago, but they aren't. They're they are only paying the price now.
2: Yep, exactly right. You don't want to be that guy. No, you don't. So that's right. We love it. Stick to your numbers. Well, Mm -hmm. we have a series of questions we always uh, like to ask at the end of the show. And uh, the first one we usually start off on.
0: Well, what is an actionable step that you could give to a first-time investor to get into large multifamilies?
1: I would start, I always tell my guys, start with single-family homes first. Okay. Great. There are three things that you need for multi-family. You need the experience, so you'll get that. You need the liquidity. So some people have that, some people don't. Um, you don't want to be making your first uh, mistake with a two million dollar plus property. Yeah, it's true. That's yeah, right. and and then the the next is partners. And like, quite frankly, who the heck is going to work with you if you have no experience? Yeah, you might have a lot of money, and that might get you into some deals. But like, I mean. You really add no value, right? It's all about adding value in some facet. Nice. And until you've done it, like it, it's just very difficult to show anything to somebody who you actually want to work with. I mean, I'm sure you can go on some internet form and say, "Hey man, like I'm looking for a partner, you know, I'm pretty good." i I,
0: I might have some money in my bank (laughs) yeah (laughs) no that's awesome i love like my my mantra is adding value like how can i add value to anyone's life i mean that's yeah
1: so i said i get yeah so i would say the action step would be to uh talk to people like yourself and but always like my saying is like don't be an asshole. like you know people will call and they're like what markets are you in? Who are you using as your broker? What are you doing this? How much are you, you know, where where are you getting your loans from? It's like, man, calm down. Yeah, I've got this question train, right? Like, yes. and these people normally don't go anywhere because that style or that, that mindset or the lack thereof, they, they don't attract the right people. They repel them. So always ask how you can add value. Like you mentioned. I love it.
0: Nice. So another question we like to ask is, do you have a morning routine?
1: Um, it changes all the time. I used to do like a Tabata and meditation that stopped. Um, uh, lately I've been doing the Miracle morning because when I come back home from work, I'm just pretty tired and I can't really do much and I just procrastinate. Um, so just getting up and the night before writing down, like what were like the frog that I have to do uh-huh. Uh, what are the big things that I need to, to do the the Gary Keller one thing that if I do that, it prepares everything else forward. Um, and then just knocking out first thing in the morning before FOMO sets in and <laughs> and uh the world wakes up and my inbox get gets filled. Yeah, um, it right. goes crazy. Yeah. In in Hawaii it's gonna be very difficult being like six hours behind everybody else. By the time I wake up, like the inbox is just gonna be boom filled. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> uh, just, just so uh, just so our listeners know, Lane is actually moving back to Hawaii, what, tomorrow?
1: Um, yeah, in a few, a few days, days, yeah. Few days. Yeah, yeah. Days. my yeah. My Crazy. theme song is that I came to the mainland and I bought one place to stay and then I rented out. But yeah, now I'm moving back home for a variety of reasons. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Nice,
0: yeah. moving back to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. you um, don't need to...
1: Live where you invest, right? Nope. <laughs> That's exactly right.
0: Nope. You do not need so
1: airplanes.
0: <laughs>
2: so what what are some words to live by? Um how about we go with
1: the the the, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can live with. Love it. Huh. So a lot of a lot of people are very comfortable in their lives. A lot of people that like listen to my show are like professionals doctors lawyers engineers uh, they make pretty good salaries and that's usually the thing their downfall is that they're very comfortable and they can afford the nice cars and um, they don't take the leap of faith into buying that first single family home rental Um, that's kind of my theory of why engineers do this because we don't make that much money (laughs) we can't afford an Audi so yeah, we, uh, we're the first to go in terms of that spectrum of professionals.
0: Well, maybe I'd it's also to. because your minds are always working on yep. a different level. So you need that extra little, like, that, yeah, you have this awesome, like crazy job that you work nine to five, but then you need like a few more hours on top of that just to like.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Sway the boredom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Or, or maybe even like, you know, a lot of engineers are sort of on the spectrum of like Asperger's and autism that like you see the numbers and you're like, <laughs> uh, okay, let's do it. Like, there's no emotion, right? Like, there's no, no second no, person no. like, what do I sign?
0: Oh, so, for our listeners out there who want to find you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, you can go on www.simplepassivecashflow.com. Got a bunch of uh, podcasts there. It's on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Simple Passive Cashflow. And then I have a, a book coming out, How to Buy a Turnkey Rental.
0: Awesome. Nice. That's
1: probably interesting give up for free since great. that's I just want to sell. I just want to get a book with people to review it. Right. <laughs>
0: <That's great. laughs> well, let us know yeah. when that comes out. I'd love to read it. I'd love to yeah. review it. That's uh,
1: yeah. It'll be more
2: than one page. Yeah. <laughs> aren't that easy. <laughs> Good. Well, congratulations on all your successes. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we look forward to uh, catching you in Hawaii one of these
0: days. Yes, please. Yep.
2: All right. All right. Aloha.
0: Okay. brah... Aloha. Yes. Thank you so <laughs> very much for being on our show. This is the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Again, aloha, Lane. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.